Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be the Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. I'm your producer, Isaiah Fetterman. I'm one of your hosts, Theo. And I'm Kevin. And here again, we have our next guest interview with Derek Kreiner. Uh, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind introducing us. Yeah, tell me about me, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to go down that road? I would love for us uh, to go down that road. I got we two weeks left. Let's get it we don't. We don't have time to go into our many stories, including <laughs> how your first um, impression of me was subpar, right? Is that, the, is that how we... I think it was pretty much par for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> so Derek is an elder um, at our church, but one of the reasons we wanted to have Derek on today... Um, is his background just in politics, specifically on the state level uh, in Virginia. But really what, you know, I mean, I always love Derek because when other people are excited about the Super Bowl or all the other sports ball events, as he calls them, uh, Derek's Super Bowl is the night of the election every four years when um, the presidential election is happening. And so, uh, yeah, we, we wanted to have Derek in to talk to us today just about uh, politics and the intersection of our faith and worldview as Christians and how to hopefully maybe cut through a lot of the, the rhetoric and um, I don't know how you would word it, Derek, but maybe some of the polarization that we see happening um, culturally in our country uh, in politics, maybe how Christians can be faithful and engaged in that uh, particular realm without becoming a part maybe of, of that realm and, and working through that. So, but first, why don't you start off maybe just by telling us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord and uh, just your background um, in political experience. Sure. So um, I grew up in a, a fairly conservative household both theologically and politically um you know the god intended and um <laughs> you know I, I think i was six or seven when i made a profession of faith and and was baptized but um it, it didn't take um <laughs> is one way to put it uh I, I was told that that this came about because on the way home from from wednesday night service i asked my parents what would happen if we all got in a car wreck and died um and they were like, oh, we got to have him say the prayer. And so I did. Um, but yeah, it didn't take. And so I, I grew up, I would say, very culturally Christian. I had this idea of, of right and wrong um, that was informed by the Bible, but my, my life, my actions, my thinking wasn't, um, weren't whatever it's supposed to be. And I think it might have been my sophomore year of high school, when it really started to take root, when 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 the faith went from this sort of um, cultural concept that I do because my family does it, and that's why I go to church, to more of like, well, maybe this is what I believe. Um, and I would say that looking back on it, I think my that like saving faith moment came around that time, and then I was baptized again 
a little later on in a frozen river in February in Virginia. <laughs> so I know that it was legitimate. Um, it was Absolutely. awful. Yeah. Like that was the test. Like if you're really saved, you get in here now. Um, <laughs> it did. So, um, but, but there remained this sort of hurdle in, in my heart and my head over what it meant to be a Christian. I, I wasn't, I wasn't discipled especially well. I mean, I definitely heard the gospel very clearly, very well articulated when I was growing up from the, the pastor of that church and, and from my, my family. But um, the discipleship, that really like coming alongside and saying like, okay, well, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Um, never really got past the, the do's and the don'ts. Um, it stayed very surface level. And that never sat well with me because the um, I think my my vice is a sense of intellectual superiority. Um, my wife would amen that a thousand times. <laughs> I'm a bit of an intellectual snob uh, in, in like the worst possible way. I don't mean that any way possible. I, I, I love to break things down, to, to ask questions, to challenge things. And, and I felt like I couldn't do that with Christianity because the Christianity that I was raised with um, and I don't think anybody intended to teach this to me, but how I interpreted it was you don't ask questions. Like the Lord is the Lord and you leave it as it is and uh, you put on this exterior and you go forward. Um, and then several years later, I was a junior in college and the, the, uh, my Bible study leader at the time <coughs> gave me a copy of um, the, the, the Reason for God by Tim Keller. And is this where your man crush began? Absolutely. It was, it was, <laughs> it was instant. I read the introduction and I was like, I need more of this in my life. Um, sorry, Kathy but, Keller. Um. Uh, well, I mean, he wouldn't be who he is if she wasn't who she was. So, <laughs> um, many thanks to mother Kathy. Um, <laughs> but, but what happened was I, I saw for the first time an example of what a modern thinking Christian looked like. And that's not necessary for everyone. That's not important for everyone. But for me, that really punched through that barrier. Um, and, and there were responses to some of the, the doubts he was proposing that I had been nursing and, and had this sort of feeling of a response, but I couldn't articulate it. And I saw it articulated in those pages. And it was one of those moments where like every single chapter seemed to, to, to broaden some sense of my faith. Um, and yeah, it just sort of went on from there. Um, as far as far as politically, like I said, I grew up in a, in a fairly conservative household. Um, the the kind of house where, like, the kind of family rather where, when we would drive somewhere, uh, all I listened to on the radio uh, was Rush Limbaugh. Um, but it was like you had to. It was on AM, and so you had to turn the radio really high so that you could hear Rush talking over the static because that's all you would hear really. Um, so I literally like I I remember one time. Actually, I was working for, so early on in my time working for the, the legislator that I worked for, um, we were at a campaign event. I was, I don't know, 20 and stupid. And, and I saw a member of my church, my parents' church, give $100 in cash to the other candidate. And I called my dad and I was like, Dad, I think we need to talk to them. I think they might not be saved. Um, so like I had it pretty bad, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I had a, a pretty crazy sort of stumbling my way into politics. I'd always been really interested. I'm a, I'm a government enthusiast, a politics 
enthusiast. Um, and I grew up in a small town. And so what happened basically was I dated the daughter of the best friend of our local legislator. Uh, and my grandmother knew him because she worked at the, the hospital there. She was involved in lobbying uh, to an extent, in addition to HR. So if you want to know how deep that runs. Um, and, and yeah, I just randomly, I was home. She's, she passed my name along. He had heard of me because I dated uh, his friend's daughter. And he invited me to come work with him on, uh, it was actually a congressional campaign in a year where anyone with an R next to their name was doomed to fail and we failed hard. Um, but he kept me on uh, and I continued to work with him for a number of years off and on until um, I was graduating college and I uh, was supposed to run his campaign for reelection and he was unopposed. So we didn't do anything. There was no campaign. Uh, a couple years later, he called me and said, hey, I'm going to run for state senate unopposed, but I'm going to I'm going to hire you this time. Um, and that was when we were looking at coming down to Gainesville to start a church, and I turned it down. And have been recovering politicaholic ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the sake of a little contextualization, that start a church was this church that we all attend here. Yes. Lake mm-hmm. Gainesville. Yep. All right, cool. So that was such a good overview, Derek. And kind of what I want to do right now is just go meta, uh, go big picture, and ask you this question. How does one's worldview inform their politics? How should one's worldview inform their politics? So I think in terms of of how should a worldview inform your politics, I think think that might not be the right question. Um, Because your worldview impacts everything and you might just not understand what your worldview is, right? So like you can't help it. Your, your worldview is, um, the, the short definition might be that it's, it's, it's the way you interpret the world around you and the way you think the world around you ought to operate, right? So it's, it's, it's descript, well, it's interpretive, but it's also prescriptive. You're saying this is, this is what it ought to be. Um, and so you take that with you everywhere you go when it comes to uh, like e- even maybe what, kind of entertainment you like and dislike um, that's both informed by your worldview and I would say informing your worldview mm-hmm. um, and, and what you do in the ballot box um, the issues that you care about and why you care about them and which part of the issues you care about, what stances you take. That's all coming from what you think the world ought to be or what you think is wrong with the world. So the real question that you have to ask yourself is what's informing your worldview? Um, Cause like I said, everything around you is trying to disciple you. Um, every thought and philosophy is trying to get in your heart. So what's getting into yours and, and what's driving you when you go to make decisions at the ballot? Do you, do you think like from a, from a worldview perspective as a Christian, um, and this is obviously very opinionated, do you, do you feel that the two-party system in the U.S. or the, the way we kind of tend to approach politics um, and, and two separate spheres. Do you think, do you think it's easy to affiliate and choose one particular party if you hold a consistent worldview biblically? Easy how? In the sense of it, it's easy to identify which party might more closely align with the the average Christian's uh, so, worldview okay. biblically. So, yeah. so you're asking if objectively one of the parties aligns better with Christianity than another. 
Yeah, and, and that and that's a loaded gun question. Obviously, I understand that because because there's even the 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 idea and the notion that as Westerners we approach Scripture from a Western perspective, and so that's going to inherently be flawed in some way, shape, or form. Which is a different podcast for a different time. But <laughs> but but you know, I think the something that might help our listeners and and think through some things is you know, should I, should I link up with a particular party? Should I not link up with a particular party? I I think this is, these are questions that even I wrestle with as, as a Christian who's now been engaged politically, at least able to vote for near nearly 20 years thinking to myself, I'm 20 years in to this whole grand experiment of democracy and voting and, you know, whatever else it is. And yet I can't figure out, if even one of the parties more closely aligns with what I think or feel and what part of that is Kevin's worldview and what part of that is a, is a biblical worldview. I don't know if I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but <laughs> it's okay. I, I know you, I speak. Kevin. <laughs> um, so I, I think there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. I, I think if the general question is, if I read the Bible, will the Bible tell me which party I need to join? Um, the answer is no, uh, flat out. And 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 as an example, um, I would take you to, uh, gosh, there's like four different places. Hold on, let me go back to my my notes. <laughs> Kevin's laughing because I'm looking at literally the manuscript of a sermon that I wrote three years ago. Because <laughs> um, I got a cheat question. It's so yeah, it's great. All right, you know what? I wanted to give you the specific verses, but it's just not going to happen, so just bear with me. Believe me when I say this is in the Bible. Check, check me if you want. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are verses in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that make it very clear that humanity is made in the image of God and that because humanity is made in the image of God, then it bears a certain inherent value and worth that cannot be taken away or undercut, should not be taken away or undercut. It certainly can be, right? And we've seen that. Right. Um, there are verses that, that make it clear that um, life begins at conception, that, that you've known me. Um, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You have known me before I was born. You've appointed my days. Like there, there's, an, there's this intimacy that God has with every life. Um, and so from that, we would say, well, a- abortion's clearly a sin. Abortion should not happen, um, and so I, I want to align with the party that's against that, and so you might fall Republican, and that would be a, a valid interpretation. But at the same time, the, the same Bible where those ver- verses are include verses, and this is always one of my favorites. Um, I'll take you to the law in Leviticus. I think it's Leviticus 9 or six, or one of those numbers, um, <laughs> where, where God says to landowners, and again, this is his law, you will, you're going to do these things. I'm telling you, like I am acting as authority right now, right? Um, he says to landowners, uh, if you have a field and you go out to collect your, your, what do you call it? Crops? Yep. I grew up in a rural community, but it was on a farm. Um, <laughs> so you got to collect your crops. You're not to take the outer edges or the corners, and you're not allowed to go back and pick up what you drop. Why? Because God says, you're going to leave those for the widow and for the sojourner, the, the person who's going through your land. This isn't even part of your community. Um, and he says, you will do this because I am the Lord your God. 
And then he says um, that that you're not going to um, uh, to take advantage of people in need. You're not going um, to to set high interest rates on loans and things like that. You're going to you're going to lend money freely um, and, and not hold people account. Not hold people at these you know crazy shark level interest rates. That's a paraphrase. Obviously, that's not a direct quote from Leviticus. And he <laughs> says again, because I am the Lord your God. So, so God is, is, is identifying himself with people who are in need and people uh, like standing up for people who are um, easily taken advantage of. And so if you read those verses, you go, well, well God is for the poor. And, and so I'm, I'm in favor of welfare, so I'm going to become a, a Democrat. Well, okay, you've just, you've just fallen on the wrong side either way because you, you've, taken, uh, you've taken up with a party that doesn't fully embrace either one. So, so the Bible has clear outlines, I think, on some issues, but it's not going to tell you what party you've got to join. Mm. Um, if, though, you take the question from this perspective, if you say, can I, as a Christian join a political party, vote for a political party, for, for a political platform, and, and satisfy my conscience based on an informed understanding of the scripture, an informed understanding, that's the key here. I think the answer is yes. I think you can absolutely um, join a party without fear of committing a sin just for the sake of registering yourself one side or the other. But I think a well-informed understanding of the scripture would would highlight the ways in which that party is not going to perfectly align with the gospel, with the commands of scripture. So what would you say then, Derek, to someone like me? And I know we've had this discussion, so I know. Well, then, you what have, have I said answer. to you before, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you ask the question if you don't listen to the answer? This is for all of us, other people. Okay. Hey, I, I feel like a political orphan. My worldview tells me that the Republicans irritate me on these eight issues and the Democrats irritate me on these eight issues and, you know, the independents irritate me on these issues. I feel like a political orphan. Um, therefore, I'm just not going to engage in politics because I feel like there's no hope and that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm just not going to engage in voting. I'm not going to be informed. I'm not going to care what... Do you think scripture speaks to that? And, and, and what would you say to someone like me who may be holding uh, an apathetic view of engaging in politics as an, as an American citizen who's, who's voting? Obviously, right. there may be listeners who you may live in a background where you don't live under the same political system or regime that we do. But if you're an American uh, professing believer, what should a, an American follower of Jesus what should their approach to voting and being engaged in politics look like then? Um, of those 16 questions, <laughs> let me try to start at the beginning. Um, so I think that if somebody came to me, when you have come to me and said this thing, Kevin, um, <laughs> here's what I would say. One, I think that... Um, there are parts of that sentiment that I can affirm and parts that I would reject wholesale. Um, for starters, if you're feeling like a political orphan as a Christian, I think that's a good place to be. I, I don't think that we should ever find ourselves in so comfortable a relationship with our political persuasion, our political parties, that we feel like we have made the only right choice. Um, I think that, you know, if you zoom out a little bit, 
and, and like just set the topic, the specific topic of politics aside. What do what what is part of the the worldview that we affirm and embrace as Christians? It's it's that the world is broken, right? And it doesn't work the way that it should. So so what instance do you think then you should find yourself as a Christian engaged in some topic or activity or conversation where you're going to walk away fully satisfied? I mean, that's that's just not going to happen. Um, plain and simple. Um, not to say that there's not moments of of alignment and and happiness and joy and like you know those aha moments where you're like, oh, this is, this is what, this is where I need to be going. Like that's going to happen. But in terms of just being comfortable in the systems or the, the, the politics, that, that whole thing, it's just not going to happen. So yeah, you should feel like an orphan to some extent. Um, again, that's not to say that you shouldn't feel comfortable with where you are. You're right. Those are different things. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, how you address the issue of apathy if you're leaning that way, if you feel, if your, if your conclusion from feeling orphaned is that you're going to eject, you're just going to stop participating, it's all worthless, it's all so broken, that it just, it just needs to come tumbling down, uh, we need to push against the gears, throw ourselves upon the machine, and, and rip it to shreds and start over, and uh, calm down, uh, okay, uh, hypothetical person. Um, I would say that, that, that if you're falling into the realm of apathy, you've, you've committed two errors according to scripture. Number one, you have committed the intellectual error from a faith perspective of laying down your hope, right? I mean, we, the, the Bible is very clear that these systems that we're talking about these offices, the, the, even the people running for them, are appointed to, appointed by, and installed by God Himself. Right? Like there's there's this weird interplay where like we're going to cast in the ballot, and whether you think those votes are getting erased by some foreign algorithm, or you think that your one vote is the most important vote cast, you if you're a Christian, you have to af- the, agree that. God is sovereign over these things. And, and it says in Colossians that, that God, the Father through Christ, is reconciling all things to himself by the blood of the cross. That's the same blood that changed our hearts, that gave us new life. And so how can you lay down that hope when it comes to something as simple as politics, when something more complex like your soul has been redeemed? Hope is always there for the Christians. It should always be there. The second thing that I think that you've gotten wrong if you've fallen into um, a position of apathy is you've, you've said then that, well, how do I want to say this? I think I kind of blended one and two together, but the other, the other thought I had here is that you know, if you look at um, 1 Timothy two, three, maybe one of the Timothys. It's in First Timothy. But, but Paul says to Timothy um, to, to pray without ceasing, to offer thanksgiving and supplication and prayers and intercession for all of the kings and rulers. Chapter two. Yeah. Chapter two. See, I, I said two. I knew it was one of them. <laughs> so, so how then, if, if you're supposed to value these things, how can you stop, Right? How can you be apathetic? 
to them. God has clearly shown them value. And if we're part of the redemptive work of Christ on earth, in the present, in this age, then we have to be a part of what's going on politically. If you care about your family, if you care about your community, you care about the place where you live, uh, this nation, then you have to be engaged. Do you think God, it, so, you, so you would posit that the Bible demands it of believers to be engaged on some level, right? Yes. That, so as opposed to, let's say, you know, we move to some sort of monarchy, right? And God save the king or queen. <laughs> <laughs> right. We would engage in the way that God has set up the government into which we were you know, born into or, or live under. But because we live in the particular country that we live in under the, the particular system that we live in, it is, it, is, it is God's desire and command of us to be engaged on some level. Yes. Right. So then what would, what, how then would you respond to somebody who might, we might look at and say, oh, that person is overly tied into politics or overly um, involved, or is there such a thing as being too involved for a Christian in, in, in a political context? Am I allowed to knock on doors? Every day to say stuff. Fetterman, there's a global pandemic. <laughs> the answer is no. Don't knock on a door. <sighs> Fine, I'll ring the doorbell instead. That's that's not. Even, Anyways. That's, uh. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Um. Yeah, so that that's the other sin that we often commit, right? We're, we're either going to be. Uh, if we're, we're sinning in, in regards to political engagement, we're either going to be apathetic or we're going to be overly involved. And so what does overly involved look like? Um, a lot of things. <laughs> um, I, I think over-involvement, I would summarize as as you, you go to the ballot box, and, and I'm, I'm speaking in the extremes here, but you go to the ballot box, you cast your vote for whatever party you belong to, for whatever issue that you support or object to, and you walk away saying to yourself, I've done my godly duty. I have, I have done this for the day. I'm done. And then you go home. You never share the gospel. You never engage your neighbors. You never care for the people who God puts in your, in your path who are in need. Um, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you substitute political action for um, obedience to the Great Commission or any one of a number of commandments in Scripture, uh, you're wrong. Um, you can also become overly engaged by making that the primary battleground. Listen, I, I, I think that politics matters. I think that government is important. I think that we should be engaged. I think that, that non-engagement is not an issue for Christians or not an option for Christians. Um, and yet, we also have to remember that like, this is not the, the like, holy ground. We're, we're not fighting for control of, um, of eternity in Washington, D.C., thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you can't treat this like the, the final frontier for Christendom, for, for the kingdom of God, because it's not. It's just not. The reality is that, that this, this nation could, could completely crumble. And our hope as Christians should still be in, in God, right? Should still be in Christ. So if you're, if you're overly engaged, I would just ask you why. 
what is it that makes this the primary battleground for you? Um, and if I was feeling a little snarkier, I would ask you, um, as you're trying to tell me that I should vote for your candidate or for or against your policy, I would just ask, when's the last time you shared the gospel? Because uh, if, if the answer to that question is, this is how I do it, you're so wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a really practical question. That's probably going to be very difficult to answer. But I know you're going to give us some good words here uh, that'll be helpful in informing our view of this question. Let's well, hope. <laughs> oh, I believe in you. So the question is, how should a person decide who to vote for? So we're talking about politics. We're talking about Christian politics. There are people listening to our podcast right now who want to know who they should vote for. So how do they get to that place where they determine who they should vote for as a Christian? There's a, there's a few ways. Um, one, let me just say, like, if, if, you're, if you're voting strictly on party lines, you're probably making a few mistakes along the way. Um, you know, I, I've, I've known people who have, uh, voted Democrat their whole life because they're still convinced that the democratic party, um, is, is the embodiment of FDR. Like every democratic president is, is another term for, for old Delano. Um, and by contrast, I've known a lot of Republicans who think that if you see an R next to someone's name, then you're, you're going for the Gipper. Um, and that's just not, I'm not even gonna tell you who the Gipper is. If you don't know, look it up. Um, and that's step number one is be informed. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not as simple as party line voting. Um, I think that if you party line vote, I think that you're in more danger of associating yourself with positions and policies and, and people that you probably shouldn't associate with as a Christian. So step number one, um, and, and this is the same whether you're voting for a person or you're trying to figure out where you stand on a particular issue, step number one is you need to know the word of God. Um, if you're not, so this kind of gets back to the worldview question, right? If, if, you, if your first thought when you're coming to a decision is not, how does the word of God inform this decision? Then I, I think you've skipped a step. Um, if, if, it, if, it is, if the first thought is, how does my party believe, you skipped a lot of steps. Um, and, and I can tell you where your worldview is coming from. But, but Christians, the first question we should ask ourselves is, how does the Bible inform this decision? And you're going to, as you're reading through the Bible, and this takes, by the way, this is not as simple as like opening it up, going to the appendix, or the index rather, and being like, oh, what does the Bible have to say about the Keystone XL pipeline? Or what does the Bible say about uh, Black Lives Matter? Like that's not, that's not in the index of the Bible. Instead, what you're going to find are concepts and themes and commands and exhortations and corrections that, that come together to give you an idea of how you ought to move forward. Sometimes it's very clear, right? Abortion is wrong. Christians should never be in favor of, I just said never, Christians should be very circumspect on how they engage on the topic of abortion. Um, it, it's, it's wrong to take life. It just is, right? Then you got to figure out, well, why is that even a question right now, right? But not everything is that direct. Like I said, you're not going to look in the Bible and find an answer on how you ought to think about whether or not to elect Joe Biden or Donald Trump. You're not going to find an answer that says, like, thou shalt support 
international free trade. Like, that's not <laughs> going to be in there. Um, and so you have to have the whole council of scripture in mind, and that takes years to get to. That's number one. Number two is then be educated. I joked about that when I made the, the Gipper comment. By the way, if you haven't looked that up, you're failing. Um, be educated about what you're what you're looking at, right? There there have been some moments, and I'll I'll be honest, like I again, apathy is not is not okay. Um, but there have been moments where I've gone to the ballot box and I just haven't known enough about specific questions on the ballot or specific candidates for office. Relatable. And I've not voted for the options given. <laughs> I've either left it blank or I've written in something that I feel like I, I can live with at the end of the day. Because what I don't want to do is, is inadvertently cast a ballot that my conscience is going to um, accuse me over, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and then lastly, this is the, this is not, not necessarily last in importance, but sort of the last thing that I'm listing is submitting it in prayer. Um, when, when we go to the Lord in prayer over these decisions, um, and I, I've literally, I have been praying up until the moment where I fill in a bubble on the ballot box. Sometimes I'm just praying the voting machines work because we're, we're in Florida. Um, it's gotten better guys. It's been like 21 years. Please stop ragging us over it. Um, I can say it because I live here. You can't. But you have to pray because prayer not only um, helps you to sort of discern the right way to go, um, or can rather, sometimes you're not going to get an answer, but, but it's also a demonstration of, of the fact that you accept God's sovereignty in this. God, I don't know the answer. I know that you do. I know that you're sovereign. Here's what I'm going to do. And if you're not certain, like I've even gone so far as being like, God, I, maybe this is wrong. Just forgive me. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm, you know, I'm doing what I think I, I should do. Um, you've got to submit it to prayer because otherwise you're, you're going on your own power. That's good. That's helpful. I love how what you're really trying to, to kind of give us a meta view of is the fact that scripture informs everything that we do. So really what you're saying is from a worldview standpoint, what should be the most influential thing in our worldview is scripture. And from scripture, we will determine everything, our politics and everything underneath it. That's a really helpful perspective. See, I was trying to slip that in there unnoticed, and then Theo had to go ahead and like unveil the formula to everyone. <laughs> so now I'm not sure how to answer any of these other questions. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure you'll figure something out. Just make it up. It's fine. So uh, th- the last question I want to ask you, Derek, is just this question of, is it okay to vote for non-Christian politicians? So, so frequently we have this sacred and secular divide, uh, particularly among believers in a, a hundred different spheres of life. Uh, but just looking at it from the standpoint of, of politics, you know, a couple of years ago we had one person running for president who seemed to be a, a valid Christian and another person who wasn't as much. And there have been times where we've had Mormons run for president and we wouldn't align in that way with their faith. And lots it was of like one ways. time, man. <laughs> What's the time? But it's recent, so that's all I know. I'm the young one here, so. <laughs> so how, how how do you make that determination? Like, as a Christian, is it okay to vote for a person who is not a Christian? Yes. <laughs> I've unveiled everything, so there's no further answer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, here's here's why. Like, I, so... To be clear, I, I have known people whose judgment I trust, whose whose counsel that I seek, um, have abstained from voting in instances where they they 
they didn't feel like either candidate really earned their vote. Um, and, and sometimes it's because they haven't seen a Christian in the race. Um, I think it's okay to support non-Christians uh, in the instances where those non-Christians exhibit um, Christ-like qualities. Does that make sense? Like, so I, I would I would say here that God's common grace means so God's common grace the the idea that it, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? Like, right. Um, God's common grace allows for unsaved people, outwardly, openly known unsaved people, to exhibit qualities and characteristics and traits that we can embrace and affirm. So you can find those candidates, you can vote for those candidates who, who seem like they're not going to bring shame to the nation and, and, and do it fine. I, I would also say on the other side of that, that there are plenty of people who claim to be Christian nowadays in politics because of a little thing called the, the, the moral majority in the 80s um, that turned evangelical into a um, political demographics term rather than a term describing a genuine saving faith. Mm. Um, to the point where I, I would I would maybe go so far as to say the term evangelical is no longer useful to the church in a lot of ways, um, but that's maybe a topic for another podcast, um, as you say. And, and so you, you'll find yourself with people who say that they're a Christian, and yet you look at the, the evidence in their life, and they're worse than a non-believer they're running against. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't you can't engage in the system and pick a party and then only vote for Christians because I'm gonna tell you you're gonna find yourself um, a hypocrite really really quickly. And we saw this a lot, didn't we? Uh, in well, I don't. I looked at you, but you weren't even alive, <laughs> Fetterman. Um, but in the well, you probably were. But in the in the 90s when Bill Clinton was being impeached, how many people did we hear saying on the the the, the moral right mm-hmm. saying? Oh, this is this is despicable. We can't put up with this. The this man is immoral, and we can't have an immoral person in the White House. He's not even a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, impeach him. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to 2016. How many people are setting aside clear signs of a lack of faith in a candidate that that they'll ignore because he's on their side? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just it's a if you wait for a, for a true Christian candidate, you're going to have very few options. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. So, um, I, I think you've already answered this question. So I want, you know, you know, obviously the, I think the big meta idea that you've given us at this point is the Bible should be our, our primary, um, revealer of truth and and how we then engage particular issues or um whatever it may be so i want to ask a spinoff maybe of this question then how how do we engage modern issues when christians and people we we respect in our lives disagree on what the bible is saying about that particular issue so you know, like for for example, if there were two two people stating that, um, 
well, two two separate people from from the aisle stating um, one might be saying, "Hey, I think." there are permissible reasons for abortion and here here's why and the other side saying abortion is not acceptable in the eyes of god and here's why how how do we then take scripture and kind of engage those issues knowing that the bible didn't say hey here's how to, here's how to tackle roe v wade or right or here's how to legislate Third term, third term abortions or second term abortions, or to legislate even the criminal aspect of these things, maybe. Um. So, are, are you asking, like, just sort of in general, like Christians engaging other people or Christians engaging other Christians? Yeah, and I, I think you know Theo was going to ask this question as well, and I think I'm stealing a little bit of his thunder, but how how we engage with people who have different opinions than us? But I I, I think about it even more so. What where I find it's not so hard to, as a Christian, disagree with someone's even necessary political party. It's on big hot button issues that certain people are really, really strong on. Because, like for for example, right, most most Christians I know might you might say, well, I'm not a Republican, and they're like, okay, I, I don't care, right? Or I'm not a Democrat, okay, I don't care. But if you say, hey, I care deeply about the issue of abortion or I care deeply about the issue of race or I care deeply about the issue of equity of outcomes or whatever whatever the issue may be, then you might start having a lot of friction uh, in between people on those views. And both sides may even say, well, I draw my worldview and my approach to this political issue from Scripture, yet they disagree how how can we kind of start engaging in those areas as believers um maybe respectfully and winsomely but most importantly in a way that's honoring and glorifying to the lord i think um there's a, there's a few ways to do this one well i'll just say it at the outset it's hard it's very very hard um, because when people are taking impassioned stances on an issue, we're, we're not just talking politics, right? We're, we're talking about personal experiences. We're talking about um, deep wounds sometimes, uh, desperation. I mean, there, there, there are all kinds of elements at play when you're talking with someone who is very passionate about a topic um, whether the the elements are coming directly from the topic or issue itself um, or coming from outside. Um, and, and so so knowing that, um, or rather accepting that as sort of a um, foundational truth for this question, um, you have to be humble and gentle and gracious. Um, the The best thing that you can do, is not argue the point with the person. That's not, like, why are you doing that? Well, ask yourself that question. Like, why, why do you want to go to the mat over this thing, even if the Bible is exceptionally clear that it's not okay? Why do you want to go to the mat with this person over it? What is it about this topic that is so much more important than the peace we are commanded to seek with one another? I mean, that, that's, that is... Um, Romans twelve eighteen, and so much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
that onus is on you, not them. It's on you, Christian, right? Um, and, and so you have to take that seriously. When you come across those sharp disagreements, I think you can engage by trying first to understand. Um, this does not mean, by the way, that you set aside truth. If, if you're talking with somebody and they're like, wholesale, I think that abortion should be legal. I think you should be able to do like walk-in clinics. I think we should be able to do late term. I think we should be able to go to the point of, of birth and still be able to terminate the pregnancy. You don't have to give up truth in order to engage with that topic, right? Um, at the end of the day, if the Bible's clear on something, hold the line. But why, why does that person feel that way? Can, can you engage them in a way that is more God-honoring because we need to see the issue past the issue? The issue past the issue is not whatever we're talking about, but that person's soul. If it's another Christian, then it's the relationship with that brother or sister. Um, Jesus says in John... Um, John 13, 34, and 35, that this is how they will know that you're my disciple because you're going to love one another. I'm paraphrasing here, but you're going to love one another the way I've loved you. So, so in that instance, that unity in Christ is the issue past the issue. You need to maintain that unity. Do you think that there are issues that exist either in modern day politics or things that we see kind of floating around where you know, that, that verse you use there from the Gospel of John where two believers disagree on an issue where there might need to be a decision made where a break of fellowship would be necessary? Yeah, I mean, if, you, if, if you're really convinced of your issue, um, well, break of fellowship, I, I, um, do you mean in terms of saying this person's not a Christian? Or do you mean like, I'm bye, Felicia? I think maybe both, right? It, like, is there is there a line where we would say just personally, it's not wise for me to go down this road with this person because we're clearly not going to see eye to eye on these things and not engage one another. And then is there also another line where leadership in the church or someone else may, may need to... Um, I, I would imagine at some point, if you're in disagreement with someone over an issue of politics, at some point you're, you're heading into Matthew 18 territory where there's conflict and disagreement. And so we can learn and glean from some of what Jesus says. But is there a point where maybe even for some of us here as leaders of the church, we might have to look at someone and look at a particular political stance that they take or something they do and say, hey, we judge your political position on this particular issue to be outside the bounds of acceptable moral behavior in the eyes of God, and we call you to repent. And if there's a consistent pattern of unrepentance toward that issue where we would label that person as an unbeliever? Yeah, I don't think there's a straightforward answer to that question. I think that there, there, well, let me be more specific. I don't think there's a straightforward answer to the question of, do we, um, do we say to a person as a leader in the church, um, as leadership in the church that, Hey, look, you're, you're demonstrating a lack of spiritual fruit so much so that, that we're really concerned that you're not saved. Um, I think in order to get to that point, gosh, there's so much other stuff that has to be going on, right? Like, man, it's, that is that is way, way more complicated than just like, oh, they think that abortion should be legal. Or they think that um, homosexuals should be able to get married or, or whatever else. Um, it's possible, yes. 
but that can't be the one thing. I, I would suggest, I would theorize that if this were to happen, what's actually going on is not the person's going to be um, called before uh, or like put under church discipline because of their position, but rather how they hold that position. Being belligerent with other members of the body, um, just openly lashing out at people at any point who disagree with them and making that their main thing, making that their idol, right? Um, and, and sacrificing everything to it. That's when we're going to bring a person in front of um, leadership and say, look, this is not acceptable behavior and it needs to stop. Um, but again, that's not because of the position. It's because of how they hold the position. Um, I know that there are people in in our church, there are people on leadership in, in this church um, who have political opinions that don't necessarily line up with what's in the in the scriptures, but they can probably talk with you on it and explain their position and offer you rationale. Um, and I'll out myself; I'm, I'm one of them. I I, I have and a perfect example is me. Um, but, but we've never, we've never had fights over this because I'm not going to die on that hill because I recognize at the end of the day, we live in a pluralistic society. I recognize that, that the issues aren't clear. And so I'm just not going to fight with somebody over politics 10 years ago. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like I would take you to the mat over anything just cause I could. Um, but, but that's not allowed for Christians. We're, we're forbidden that vice, right? In terms of whether or not it breaks personal fellowship, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are people who um, who I don't really associate with because they're so politically charged. Every time I get around them, they just want to fight about politics. Bad character corrupts, or bad company corrupts good character, right? Um, then two Corinthians, what is that? Um, so yeah, you might want to break fellowship with someone personally, if every time you get together, it's a fight and they're not listening to, to your pleas from a humble position, like, hey, brother, like, we, like I love you. Like, this doesn't have to be the dividing line between us, right? Um, and, and that's okay. That's okay. Selfful. <coughs> so my last question for you, Derek, is this question related to disagreements. Um, and this is this kind of almost goes back to when we created our country, like the inception of America in a sense, even. I remember that. It was a good time. Yeah, it's well <laughs> it's You're well not that old. <laughs> and so the question is, how should Christians conduct themselves when they disagree with the government or with other political leaders? So there are times when we totally just disagree. What should we do when that happens? That's a great question. Um, sorry, I was laughing about when... Uh, I just can't wait till we back Derek into a corner here and get him to admit that the Boston Tea Party was wrong. <laughs> well, it depends on how good the tea was. Like, I maybe wouldn't have tossed it. I would have tossed like, the bottom shelf tea into the harbor and like figured the good stuff away myself. I mean, I'm still not paying the tax. That was the point. Um, I mean, theft is wrong, probably. But um, probably no, I was laughing because I was remembering when somebody was was preaching on I think it was Romans 15, uh, 14. I can't remember which chapter is in Romans because I don't really read past Romans seven. Um, <laughs> it's Romans 13. OK, thank yes. you. Romans 13. And and the dude preaching, one of our friends stopped and at one point he goes, 
was the American revolution sinful? I, I don't know. Maybe. And I was like, Oh man, don't just stop uh, talking. <laughs> anyway. Um, how does, how does a Christian express disagreement or navigate disagreement with uh, a leader, political leader? Um, one, well, I think there, there are, there are three verses that I, I would take us to three passages. Um, the first is first Peter two, uh, 13 through 17. And it says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human. And I don't, I don't have this memorized, uh, listeners. I'm reading it. Just don't be like, (laughs) oh man, this guy's incredible. I'm not, um, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Um, I, I think this verse to this question tells us that like, it, you've got to engage with a, a level of respect. And again, it gets like humility and grace. Um, God has put these people over us. And, and I'll talk about dissent in a moment, but, but how we engage in dissent, whether, regardless of whether or not the dissent is justified, um, I think matters maybe even more than the other question. And, and in fact, if you can't engage in dissent in a way that honors the God who saved you, then you probably should just stop. So just leave, leave alone. Let, let somebody else do it. Let me do it. Like, just call me. We'll take care of it. Um, but don't do it yourself. Um, we're, we're under rulers that we're not necessarily going to agree with. And God knows that, right? Um, and, and how we engage in disagreement or dissent matters greatly because if we do it poorly, and I think we've seen this uh, in the last 20 years, as time has gone on and, and evangelical has gone from meaning someone who is um, a fervent follower of Christ who is um, preaching the gospel and wants to see people saved, it's gone from meaning that to meaning someone who is politically conservative and will almost wholesale as a block vote Republican. What's happened? Nobody uses the term evangelical the way it was meant to anymore. Um, people make assumptions of you based on your faith. They make political assumptions of you. Um, and, and, and they sort of broken things down into these simple fractions, simple equations that just aren't right. So we need to engage in a way that demonstrates a level of respect and lacks, I think the, um, the bile that comes from a lot of people who might even call themselves Christians, but dissent with the government in some way. And, and this falls on both sides, by the way. I'm not talking just to Republicans. I'm also talking to Democrats. Um, it doesn't matter who you're opposing or what you're opposing. Uh, if you can't do it without hurling insults, then just hush. Um, I think this gets back to me for this idea, like God says over and over in the scriptures, and this is quoted in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, you will be holy for I am holy. It's idea of being set apart because we are representatives of God. Our primary citizenship is the kingdom of God. And don't act in a way that, that says anything different. 
So if you're seeing everybody else um, spitting out, you know, harshness online or um, protesting violently or, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever you're seeing, don't join up with them. Be, be holy for your God is holy. The second, um, I, I take you to Matthew 22, where, where Jesus is confronted by the lawyer and the lawyer's trying to trap him. And he says, hey, should we pay the head tax? And this is a question, uh, this was an issue that had started a rebellion not too long before Jesus rolls through Jerusalem and they're like, oh, we're gonna get him. And, and how does Jesus respond? He takes the coin and he says, whose face is on the coin? It's Caesar. Um, and I used to know the inscription on the coin because I was that kind of nerd, but I don't know it anymore. <laughs> But, but he says, um, what he says, give unto Caesar, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The idea here is that, you know, God has put a ruler over you who has latitude to pass laws that you might not like. And you're going to have to get over it. This is, this is a democracy, and sometimes the other side wins. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes the worst thing you can imagine will happen. Doma will be defeated. We will cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. We will, like, just name your thing. It's going to happen probably at some point. That's just the way democracy works. And sometimes you're on the other side of that. And, and so we got to have to accept that to an extent. You can voice your, your dissent. I, I have, um, I, I had some, especially strong objections to the foreign policy of the Obama administration. But I don't know anyone, I don't know that anybody's ever heard me disparage the man or his, 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 his administration because I really didn't like a handful of things that he did while he's commander in chief. Um, but there's a limit to that, right? So, so the, the, the reason I, I correct myself and, and went to render rather than give is because the, the the word is actually render and render means something very specific in, in this use. It means to, to both acquiesce, but also to like, like if they're throwing dirt in your eyes, like you can throw a little back. I'm paraphrasing the idea, meaning that you don't have to give pure obedience and allegiance to everything. And, and Jesus caveats that by saying, given to God, what is God's whose image is on you? Caesar's on the coin. Who's on you? You're made in God's image. And so if the things coming out of government are not only things that you disagree with or not only things that, that scripture might not affirm, but, but are actually like, like when um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar passes the law that says, you're only going to worship me, only pray to me. And Daniel's like, I, I'm not going to do that. Like my, my God says I can only pray to him and I'm not, I'm not going to break that rule. There is a line where Christians are going to be able to openly and, and fervently dissent. But if you're barking up every single policy tree, nobody's going to listen when it really matters. So reserve your voice. Right now to the, to the larger question of, you know, like was, was the revolution, the American revolution, uh, sinful? No, I don't think so. Um, we didn't attack. They attacked. We just said we were breaking up. So I blame, I blame the King for that one. <laughs> so we tried to walk away peacefully. <laughs> we gave them a box of their records. We said, here's your stuff. And they kicked down the door. So my final question is this then is taxation theft? No. And the 16th amendment is not unconstitutional. <laughs> well, I'm angry now. You're wrong. <laughs> it's normal to be angry when you're wrong. <laughs> 
Oh my. Well, before we go on to too much of a rabbit trail of that one, <laughs> uh, any last comments or questions that we have? Thank you, Derek, for coming on the podcast. This is very helpful. I think that giving us this informed view politically is uh, practical for us. And particularly since we just got through an election, you know, kind of the way that we navigate the presidency um, as we now have it, it's going to be really important. So a lot of the things that you talked about think have relevance for us in our everyday context because, you know, even though we're not voting for someone new, we do have to, um, you know, just endure the current administration in a way that's winsome and hopefully charitable and um, honoring to the Lord and to one another. So uh, just very grateful for you to kind of give us that context through which to look at uh, these political issues that we're going through. Yeah, I would just add, um, not uh, I would echo Theo's thank you, but I'd also just um, speak to something I know you hold to as well when you were talking about being educated and informed. Um, something to maybe take away from this is um, if Derek is right, and I think he is about the importance of engagement in politics and caring about this, that this doesn't just mean you care every four years when there's an election for president, but the reality is you should care a lot more about what's going on locally in your particular area and where you're, um, where you live and what's going on there on the ground level, including things like, um, board positions, school board positions, mayors, county commissioners, you know, whatever your current local government setup is. I think, I think that's something that more than anything, and as irritated I was at the time when you forced me to think through these things and why they mattered, uh, I appreciate that because now I'm informed. And now, and not only that, now that I'm informed, I also feel like I have skin in the game as far as when I either agree or disagree with something that, that happens. And I will also say, having lived in a global pandemic this past year, your local authorities have quite a bit of power on some things that will happen in your life, maybe even more so than the federal government does. And so you should probably care about those things from that perspective as well. And so, um, again, Derek, thank you for taking some time to help us parse through this. And I'm sure we could have talked for hours and hours on end, but I think this is a good primer if nothing else absolutely any last statements or thoughts are you good yeah i'll just say one thing that i should have said at the beginning one josiah or isaiah i want you to put um the the gi joe knowing is half the battle <laughs> clip over top of him saying now i'm more informed <laughs> joe. okay anyway i can't make any promises but i should have i should have said this at the beginning of uh, of the conversation here but you know, I, I'm I'm offering in this conversation what I think is an informed and like prayerful consideration of of these questions and and just the idea of of the church and politics in general. Um, but I am not under any circumstances or any pretense suggesting that this is the only informed biblical and reasoned prayerful position to have. Um, these are very open-handed issues in a lot of ways. There are some things I said today that like, I absolutely will argue with you on lovingly because I think you'd be wrong to disagree. Um, but, but overall, this is a pretty open book, uh, pretty open concept. So, um, you know, don't, don't walk away angry at me because it's something you don't agree with. Just let it challenge you, maybe. Which leads us to the statement that if you have questions or you'd like to uh, process through this more, we would love to hear from you uh, at podcast at We'll take questions, comments, or uh, 
maybe concerns uh, and talk. I do not receive concerns. <laughs> I'm a little concerned about Fetterman's role in this. It seems he's just let it go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. What can I say? Uh, you know, you just get so into a conversation listening. It's great. Um, I mean, next time, uh, you know, if and when Derek comes back, we'll probably end up talking about Star Wars. Uh, at least that's what I'd like to do. Um, uh, less uh, minefields uh, in that topic than others. So, uh, like why the prequels are the best. But that's a, another conversation for another time. Uh, next podcast, we'll be interviewing David Reed on mental health and how to deal with that as a believer. So be sure to look out for that. Uh, and as always, uh, we're glad you listened. Uh, please like, subscribe, follow, uh, comment on whatever you're listening or watching on. And with that, go and be the church. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be The Church podcast, where we... I'm sorry, I wasn't there, because you know I don't have you it. You blew so. that yeah, really I, bad. You know How many of these have you done? Sh- I know. Thank you. <laughs> you ever it's heard of a still podcast? shocking to me that he has not memorized the tagline. I could likely do that in my conversations sleep. Conversations that will encourage you in everyday context so that you can be the church. See, I, can I think it's that. open book, too. That's the, it that's is. the worst part. <laughs> but here's the problem. I wasn't turned to the right page. That was that was the issue, you know. So, anyways, we're going to try this that This guy got through college. doesn't even know how to cheat. The struggle. All right. Take two.